despite a lot of the political rhetoric, we did see broad areas of agreement, both on issues of election reform and on election integrity or safeguards. Arizona voters were very supportive of audits, of tracking ballots like you track a package, testing machines, a voter ID. Now, all these mechanisms, these safeguards are already in existence in Arizona. On the other hand, voters were extremely supportive of mail-in voting. They were also very supportive of changing the way top election officials run. 92% wanted them to take an oath in office that they would handle their duties in a nonpartisan manner. Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara ong And I'm Skylar Tesler. I'm a 22nd century scholar um, who's interning at the Center for Politics this summer. In the new crystal ball ratings for the 2024 presidential election, Arizona is just one of four initial toss-up states. In this episode, we're talking with Dr. Thomas Riley. He is co-director of the Center for an Independent and Sustainable Democracy at Arizona State University and has a new survey out of Arizona voters and their views about elections and election systems. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Riley. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I wonder if you could start by just giving us a sense of what the electorate in Arizona looks like and how the electorate has been changing, especially um, over the last couple of election cycles. As you had mentioned, you know, Arizona is one of the few very uh, true swing states or purple states where a Republican, Democrat, or an independent can actually win a statewide office. It has a growing Latino population, about 21% of the electorate. And um, it is equally divided between Republicans, Democrats, and independents. In fact, in this last month, independents inched out Republicans for the largest block of voters in the state of Arizona. And, and also, if I could mention it from the backdrop, we had a very high profile audit by the Finjan Ninja group that was kind of plucked out of obscurity to do an audit of uh, Arizona. Um, there was also uh, numerous lawsuits at the last election in 2022. Uh, we had super close races for the governor, the attorney general, and other races. So while the rest of the United States moved on, uh, Arizona was still counting votes, which led to a lot of conspiracies. Uh, and then there was multiple lawsuits that were filed, all tossed out. But that's just kind of the backdrop of uh, uh, the Arizona voter and what they're facing. Also, I, a lot of high-profile candidates denying election results, contributing to the climate. So voters are hearing a lot of conflicting information. It's very hot weather in Arizona, but you also have a very hot political climate, um, as you've just described. Your survey of voters also finds that there are broad areas of agreement. And I wonder if you can just give us an overview about where you found agreement among Arizona voters. You know, so we had a fairly large sample of uh 1,063 individuals uh, that we uh, interviewed. Um, as I mentioned before, they were equally divided between Republicans, Democrats, and independents, as well as proportionally reflecting the ethnic uh, education uh, and age background of uh, Arizona voters. We also uh, broke it down between, they're all registered voters, but uh, we looked at those who didn't vote in 2022 versus those that did. We called them non-voters versus voters. That was very interesting because in addition to 
the differences we saw in some of the political parties, we saw a lot of significant differences between voters and non-voters. <clears throat> but as you mentioned, is that despite a lot of the political rhetoric, we did see broad areas of agreement, uh, both on issues of election reform and on election integrity or safeguards. Um, Arizona voters were uh, uh, very supportive of um, audits, of tracking ballots, like you track a, a um, package, uh, testing machines, uh, a, a voter ID. Now, all these uh, mechanisms, these safeguards are already in existence in Arizona. Um, when we field tested, you know, a lot of individuals did not know that we even had those. So it's a, it's a good point to start. Uh, you know, are voters even aware that these exist or do they want more? But the fact that the percentages ranged anywhere from 65 to 85% support showed the large support for these election safeguards. On the other hand, uh, voters were extremely supportive of mail-in voting. Um, they were also uh, very supportive of changing the way top election officials run our elections. Um, <clears throat> overwhelmingly, Republicans, Democrats, and independents supported a system where top election officials like secretary of states or recorders um, are elected in a nonpartisan manner versus in a partisan manner. 92% wanted them to take an oath in office that they would handle their duties in a nonpartisan manner. Further, four out of five voters supported nonpartisan primaries, um, which was very significant. Uh, where all individuals would appear on one ballot, um, regardless of party, uh, and to level the playing field on what it takes to get on a ballot. Currently, right now, uh, if you are a um, major party, you have about 10,000 votes you need, uh, signatures you need to appear as a candidate. However, if you're an independent or unaffiliated, you need four to six times that amount. And currently, right now, Arizona has come a semi-open where individuals, uh, they cannot participate uh, if you're an independent in the presidential primaries. There are only party billion. However, for other races, independents can, can pull a ballot of Republicans or Democrats. So it's not an open primary, but they can actually pull a ballot and vote in the Republican or Democratic primary. However, many don't understand that, that they can do that, and very few do that. Um, you know, central to the question was that, you know, the, the state pays for primaries, right? Taxpayers pay for primaries. And if taxpayers are paying for it, they shouldn't exclude a significant portion of the electorate. And in this case, in Arizona, as I said, it's over a third of the electorate are independent or um, unaffiliated. I think people, at least the voters in, in the sample that we interviewed, felt very strongly that you should not, have to, should not have to join a party to vote. One of the key findings, at least for me, from, from the survey was about confidence in elections. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how rhetoric from both parties is undermining voter comfort, is undermining voter confidence. Um, and I wonder if you can talk a little bit about the differences you, you found among different demographic groups in regards to confidence in elections. Yeah, that's a good question. So we basically asked, you know, three questions. Were you very confident, uh, somewhat confident or not confident? 
And what we found was uh, that two-thirds of individuals were either somewhat or very confident. So that was somewhat reassuring. So we had about a third very confident, a third somewhat confident, and a third uh, uh, not confident. Um, what we did find, and, and I think that translates to into another question we ask about trust in institutions. Uh, and I think to your point, you know, the political rhetor rhetoric uh, has really undermined uh, it, uh, voters' trust in, in, in all our major institutions as far as uh, in regards to receiving election information, uh, that there was no institution that received a majority uh, 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 in support. Uh, there were only three that had more support than not. They were friends and family, outside nonpartisan electors, and universities, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> Although universities were propelled by Democrats and independents, and uh, on the other hand, Republicans had little trust in universities. But on the voter confidence issue, it's very interesting is that on the demographics, um, surprisingly, we had very little difference between urban and rural. Uh, yeah. There was no significant differences except on the issue of voter confidence. Um, younger people uh, and older people had more voter confidence. Uh, and uh, Democrats and independent uh, uh, versus... Um, Voting Republicans had the lowest level of confidence. Uh, Non-voting Republicans, interesting enough, mirrored those of independents, hmm. um, which was somewhat interesting. Just a quick follow-up. Do you have any sense, you know, given the finding that, that this was the one question where there was a difference among um, rural and urban voters, um, what might be driving uh, the lack of confidence among rural voters versus urban ones? Quite frankly, I ex expected more differences between urban and rural in, in all the questions. So I was somewhat surprised that we only dealt with the issue of confidence. But I mentioned, you know, the backdrop of Arizona, um, you know, both with the, the audit from that kind of obscure auditing agency that was quite controversial. Um, and also the very close elections uh, and where there were some uh, challenges around election, many of those appeared in, in some of the rural areas. Uh, so that, you know, may have accounted for more of their lack of confidence uh, uh, in election administration and the election system. But, but interesting enough, you know, they, there wasn't any difference, for example, in their support in wanting top election officials to be nonpartisan. Um, you know, that, that, you know, I, I don't know that that solves the confidence problem that we have in our election system, but given the overwhelming numbers, I think it, 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 it moves the needle, uh, towards more people, uh, being confident in our election system. when We have individuals that are pledging to be nonpartisan or elected in a nonpartisan manner. And, and by the way, you know, we're the only Western democracy that, uh, allows individuals who have a, a game in the outcome to be involved in the election process. All other Western democracies um, uh, sh uh, shield uh, election administration, uh, both administratively and legally from partisan actors. And we're the only uh, democracy that actually elects our uh, cheap election officials. If you think of it, you know, they engage in this heated debate, right? You know, uh, 
partisan debate right before the election, sometimes very bitter and, and a lot of acrimony. And then the day after, we expect citizens to view those as neutral arbiters of elections. Yeah. Even in our local elections, many you know, lo- elections are actually conducted at the local level, but even how they're run at the local level, it's often an election registrar, general registrar, uh, director of elections. But then there is a board that's usually a partisan board that's overseeing, right? So, so even at that local level, it can it could undermine um, uh, trust in in a sort of a nonpartisan system. And we've also seen a lot of election officials um, that it, ele- election administration officials. Um, retiring or leaving office um, over the last uh, couple of election cycles because of uh, how heated um, uh, elections have become. Yeah, I was just talking to the Secretary of State, commenting on how challenging it is to find a pipeline of individuals who are willing to work in election administration. And an office at one time was very obscure, right? And out of the limelight has now kind of been thrust in the middle uh, and with a a lot of the political rhetoric uh, and threat. You know, people can transfer and get other jobs, right, within local government, you know, that that are less uh, challenging. Um, Dr. Riley, you kind of spoke about this in regards to voter confidence, but I was wondering if you could talk about what kinds of election integrity measures voters are supporting and if you could also speak to how trust in institutions may mediate election integrity measures. Yeah, you know, the, the, the over 85% of the respondents uh, felt very strongly about testing machines and tracking ballots. Um, you know, uh, another almost 70% wanted stricter IDs and audit. Uh, as I said, in Arizona, we do a component of all those. Um, we don't do a full audit, but we have components of all those. But those are safeguards. And, and I find this a little interesting because, you know, these safeguards, a lot of time we pivot between election integrity being the Republican or the right and election reform being kind of the left. Well, we didn't really find that. We found that people wanted to protect the fundamental right to vote. Uh, they, they, they wanted more confidence. They, they, they supported early voting and, and mail-in voting, but they wanted certain safeguards. And that was with regards to party. Uh, we didn't see a partisan breakdown when we talk about some of these election integrity. Now, yeah, Republicans tended to have stronger uh, uh, views on some of these, uh, uh, but and independent, uh, but still Democrats in the majority supported all of these um, uh, measures. You know, that was kind of one of the major areas we started with is that how do we build confidence in election administration, particularly when there's controversial issues or people need information? Uh, and so we really were looking at, you know, what type of institutions may you know, be able to provide that type of information. And as I said, we were kind of surprised. Well, we're surprised on one end, but not surprised because I think the political rhetoric has really destroyed any of the uh, trust we have in any of our mainstream institutions. When we were field testing the instrument, it was interesting that several individuals commented, you know, I support my clergy. I just don't support those others. Or I support my news source, right? But not the others. Um, and I think that's very telling, but when you look at almost all our major institutions from clergy to business, to political leaders, uh, to universities, uh, and, and others, uh, people aren't trusting these institutions to provide information. So if they're not where they're going, where are they going? You know, as, as someone like yourself sort of involved in the university, 
you know, I often have, you know, I, I, two things that, that are very interesting is that more young people are now unaffiliated. They're not part of the two-party system. Uh, at, at numbers greater, you know, approaching 60%. And, you know, for someone who grew up as a partisan, right, and, and then switched to independent, you know, if in doubt, I could always go to my political playbook on who to vote for, right? If I didn't, could investigate an issue or ballot or didn't know about. But now that you have the majority of young people who don't have part, uh, partisan uh, affiliation, where do they go for information? One is that young people, I think, are embarrassed to say that they don't necessarily know how to vote because it is a bit complicated. In Arizona, you got to pull ballots. And, uh, but where do you go for information when you need background information? Comes to this question. So if you're not getting your information about elections from government, from business leaders, from religious leaders, from universities and elsewhere, where are you going? Um, there was a little gleamer of hope that universities and friends and family and outside election observers, nonpartisan, had higher levels of tr trust and non-trust, and they may be able to nurture those. <clears throat> but with friends and family, you know, we tend to, you know, we tend to look at media sources that reflect our worldview, and then we end up talking it with friends and family who believe the same way we do. So we're kind of in these echo chambers, right? Uh, uh, we're not really open to other type of uh, uh, sources of information. Given what you have found on the sources of information and, and also trust or distrust in them, what suggestions would you have for journalists in terms of how they are going to cover the 2024 election? Well, a couple is that I, I think one is to uh, recognize and respect that a large portion of Americans are not part of the two-party system. I mean, the Gallup poll in April uh, showed that 49% of people now are independent or unaffiliated, which is more than combined in the Republican Democratic Party. And too often, we look at things from a partisan lens of Republican Democrat. Uh, with such large numbers of unaffiliated voters, uh, um, uh, I think that's really important to look at. The other, um, as I mentioned in Arizona, is that on a lot of these elections, uh, safeguards is that, you know, maybe starting from the, uh, a starting point that many states have built in these safeguards that many individuals are not aware of. So starting from a baseline that, you know, you never want to interview someone and, and show that they're ignorant about something, but, you know, providing some baseline information that there are certain safeguards that exist or that polling on mail-in voting and early voting is, is, is widely supported across political spectrum. You know, I think that starting point helps a dialogue, right? Because, you know, I guess the way I feel is we're never going to get people who are total election deniers, but, you know, those that doubt and, and have concern uh, about it, you know, how do we move the needle, right? And, and engaging in conversation um, such as the reforms and safeguards that exist out there that are widely supported as well as new type of reforms. You know, most people, when you ask them about the Secretary of State, they don't realize that we elect them in a partisan manner. And when you question on them, they're like, yeah, that really makes no sense. You know, why do why I want someone who is overtly partisan overseeing an election that we have doubts about to begin with? Uh, and, and, and stuff as simple as taking oaths and 
pledging to run those offices in a nonpartisan manner, you know, is it, again a, a middle ground that seems to have a lot of support across the political spectrum. Do you have any concerns um, on this question of reform towards a nonpartisan election? Um, you know, a lot of our state Supreme Court justices are elected in a nonpartisan <laughs> manner, allegedly, <laughs> at least on paper. But because of the nature of campaign finance, especially, you know, we can we, we now have a good sense of where justices might stand based on where they're getting support for their campaigns. Um, and then also the positions they end up taking in, in judgments can be used to, you know, to create an ideological scale. Um, do you have any concerns about whether or not even a nonpartisan election of, of an administrator could actually still be perceived as partisan? Sure. And I think we see this. I mean, you know, nonpartisan uh, uh, elections came about in the progressive era, right? You know, uh, because of the, uh, the partisan corrupt politics and local government. And so now we have as a staple local governments that run in a nonpartisan manner. I used to be a county manager. Um, I had a board that was nonpartisan, but, you know, I knew their partisan rep, you know, positions. Um, so, you know, you're not going to totally divorce it, but it's interesting, for example, in the secretary of state's office is that in the past we had individuals that, you know, I, I call them, they were good actors is that even though they ran as partisans, they ran their office once elected in a very nonpartisan manner. I like to note that a, a friend of mine, uh, who in Nevada, who was a neighbor who was in the legislature and I was a, a county manager and ran the child welfare system. I interacted with her a lot. She was extremely partisan as a legislator. When she became Secretary of State, she became very nonpartisan. And I asked her, and she said, that is what the office required, and it required us to run in a nonpartisan manner, and I pivoted that way. So in the past, research has shown that those that were elected Republican or Democrats had pretty similar outcomes in how they ran their office. 2022 changed that. We had almost a dozen individuals that were running in a partisan manner that overtly were running to say they're going to change the way they're going to operate in a partisan manner. Uh, many of them were bad actors. They would have fundamentally changed how these systems would have operated in a fair manner. Um, so pledging nonpartisanship, putting that out there, holding individuals accountable, I think moves the needle better. Right? You're never going to separate all of that. Right. But not running from each of the party's side or not pledging to be a, a partisan disruptor. Um, you know, that concerns me going forward on these offices that we've now pivoted. You know, many are saying, you know, no way, even if I'm elected, I'm not running it in a nonpartisan manner. So I think requiring the oath or going back to a nonpartisan gets us at a better place than running these overtly partisan. Uh, uh, position on such key integral positions for our election system. Well, Dr. Tom Riley, co-director of the Center for an Independent and Sustainable Democracy at Arizona State University. Thank you so much for joining us on Politics is Everything and sharing findings from the new survey of Arizona voters with significant implications for how we can improve our election system and also our democracy. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Listeners, you can find a link to the full survey in the episode notes. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Politics is Everything. 
Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whaley. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Fays. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at Center Number Four Politics. We welcome your this suggestions and questions for the future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time.